You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Parsha Review Podcast. All right, welcome back everybody to the weekly Parsha Review. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Va'es Hanan. Va'es Hanan means to beg and to beseech and to pray. And Parsha's Va'es Hanan is the second portion in the book of Devarim, in the book of Deuteronomy, the 45th portion since the beginning of the Torah. There are 118 verses, 1,878 words, and 7,343 letters. We repeat this every week because it's a reminder that there isn't an extra word in the Torah. As we will see this week, we'll bring a few examples. There is not an extra letter, not an extra word, not an extra verse in the Torah. If it's in the Torah, it is essential to be in the Torah. There are 12 mitzvahs, 8 performative mitzvahs, and 4 prohibitions. And this week's parsha continues the final instructions that Moshe was giving to the Jewish people. Moshe prays and implores Hashem to allow him to enter into the promised land and perform the special mitzvahs of the land. Hashem refuses and tells Moshe to stop praying for this, but to ascend the mountain and look west, north, south, and east at the land that he will give to Joshua and the Israelites, Moshe encourages Yoshua that he will be a great leader. He says, Chazak uh, ve'ematz, be strong, you're going to be resolute, you will be great, you will be a great leader. And then Moshe exhorts the Jewish people, the children of Israel, to follow the ways of Hashem. Listen to the decrees and the ordinances that I teach you, do not add or subtract from it. The commandments that Hashem gives us are the commandments that Hashem wants us to follow. And therefore, the Torah reminds us through Moshe, don't add, don't subtract. We'll talk about this a little bit more in our Important Lessons segment. Moshe reminds the Jewish people that Hashem punished those who went astray and rewarded those who followed His will, and He will do so again in the future. Moshe reminds the Jewish people of our redemption from Egypt. Don't forget what you saw with your eyes and teach it to your children. This is an important thing that Moshe is reminding the Jewish people what is unique about Judaism. And that is, by us, it's a revelation that all the people had. It wasn't just the revelation of an individual. It wasn't the revelation of just a few or a single person like every other religion is based they all claim that they had a revelation and if you don't believe me then we're going to threaten you with either eternal damnation or uh, jihad uh, will will kill you not in judaism in fact when people do come to judaism we push them away because we only want sincere people to come so moshe then reminds the jewish people of Mount Sinai, the revelation at Mount Sinai. Remember the sounds, the fire, the Ten Commandments. Greatly protect your soul. It's a very, very important commandment, which also obligates us to protect our body because our soul is a resident in our physical body. If we don't take care of our body, our soul will not have a residence to live in. So it's important not only to take care of our soul, but also to take care of our body. And our sages use this as an absolute proof to con- be concerned for our own health and to ensure that we eat healthy, etc., etc., and not do dangerous things, of course. Do not make idols of any form. 
Moshe reminds us, those who made idols all perished, all died. There was a plague that took them all out. Don't forget your covenant with Hashem. This is a, a constant reminder throughout this week's parsha, where Moshe is reminding the Jewish people, do not forsake your bond with Hashem. Hashem has given you everything. Hashem has taken care of you. Hashem will never forget his bond to you. Don't forget your bond to him. Then Moshe says, if there will be a time where the Jewish people don't follow the ways of Hashem, heaven and earth shall bear witness that if you sin when entering the land, you will lose your land and be destroyed. Hashem will scatter you among the nations. But when you seek Hashem, He will always be with you. Hashem will never abandon you or destroy you completely. And this we see today. Today we are in exile as much as we like to believe that we have all the comforts and all of the luxuries and all of the uh, materialism, the prosperity of the world. But the truth is we are in exile. We are limited in what we are able to do in our service of Hashem. Uh, and we are limited in our connection. We don't have a temple rebuilt. We aren't able to bring our offerings to Hashem. And we're limited just by what we have today. And we'll see more about this soon. Our unique relationship with Hashem is recalled by Moshe. Has any nation ever heard Hashem speak directly from fire and survive? Has any God ever miraculously come to take a nation from amidst another nation with challenges, signs, wonders, an outstretched arm, like Hashem did for you from greater and mightier nations. You think about this. There's no nation on planet Earth that has survived like the Jews have. And in this week's Parsha, there's a tremendous dedication to this narrative that every other nation, if you were bigger, you won. If you were smaller, you lost, except for the Jewish people. We are the anomaly. We are what doesn't make sense in this world because we don't make sense. Our very existence doesn't make sense. And therefore, Moshe is reminding us, stay with Hashem. Stay in your lane with Hashem. But now there's a very, very important commandment in this week's parasha. I think one of the most important commandments, uh, chapter 4, verse 39, and that is, Know Hashem. And feel it in your heart. It doesn't say believe in Hashem. It doesn't say have faith in Hashem. It says know Hashem. Have knowledge of Hashem. We all have the opportunity to have knowledge of Hashem. We can do that through the miracles that we see every day in our lives, physically, in our health. We can see it in nature. We can see it in the news. We can see it in our very own existence as a people. Hashem in his Torah, is reminding us, and Moshe is Hashem's messenger telling us this, know Hashem and feel it in your heart. It's a different thing having knowledge than feeling it and acting upon it. An example for this would be, we all know the speed limit. That doesn't mean we act upon it. That doesn't mean we follow it. The fact that we know that there is a Hashem, a creator of heaven and earth, who rules everything, whose oneness is indivisible and is is all-powerful. That doesn't mean that we actually live with that consciousness every single day. And that's this commandment, is not only know Hashem, not just believe and have faith. Yeah, I believe somewhere back there there's a God. But actually to know that there's a God. I know that there is a God, a creator of heaven and earth, who's the master of the universe. But not only that, but I actually live like that. I bring it into my heart. 
Moshe designates the exact cities that will serve for refuge for an inadvertent killer, like we mentioned two weeks ago that Moshe was designating these these cities of refuge. They are Kadesh, Shechem, Kiryas Arba in Israel, and then Golan, Ramoth, and Betzer in the Jordan, a Transjordan side of the Jewish inheritance. That's for the two and a half uh, tribes that were inheriting land in Jordan. Moshe calls upon the Jewish people to listen and recall that Hashem spoke face to face with the entire nation at Mount Sinai and declared the Ten Commandments and gave us the tablets of stone, a revelation that will never be duplicated. Moshe teaches the people their mission statement, our mission statement, which is Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, with the passages affirming our faith in Hashem, our only one God, and our commitment to Him, with a stark warning of the dangers of prosperity and materialism, lest you forget your purpose as a spiritual nation. Our job is not to be the wealthiest. Our job is to be the holiest. Don't test Hashem, Moshe tells us. Chapter 6, verse 4 through verse 19. Also mentioned are various mitzvahs, including putting on tefillin and mounting mezuzahs on our doorposts to serve as a constant reminder of that commitment that we are meant to be a spiritual people, not a physical, materialistic, and prosperous people in the sense that we get carried away with our fancy cars and fancy homes and fancy luxury vacations and then forget perhaps that there is a spiritual connection that is necessary with Hashem. And then the Parsha continues, keep his commandments and you'll have a good life. This is a promise from Hashem. You keep Hashem's commandments and you will have a good life. Teach it to your children throughout the generations. This is also of vital importance for each and every one of us to teach the Torah to our children. Teach the miracles of Mount Sinai. Teach the miracles of our Exodus. This is what we do at our Pesach Seder every year to teach this to our children. And then Moshe warns that when conquering the land of the seven nations, the Kanani, the Chiti, the Amori, the Parisi, the Chivi, Yevusi, and Girgashi, be cautious. Don't intermarry or assimilate whatsoever. Instead, burn their altars and their idols. You are a holy, treasured people. Remember, you are Hashem's chosen people to be distinguished. And that concludes the summary of this week's Parsha. But now we go on to the important lessons of this week's Parsha. So the word Va'eschanan and Moshe plead, he implored upon Hashem, to be allowed to go into the land of Israel. Our sages tell us that the numerical value for the word va'etchanan is 515. And our sages tell us, this tells us and teaches us that Moshe prayed 515 times to go into the land of Israel. And then Hashem says, stop. Stop. You're not going to the land of Israel. Just stop. What do we pray for 515 times? What is it that means so much to us that we're willing to pray 515 times? And I think that's the most important lesson of all of this. That Moshe was relentless in his prayer. And we need to learn how to be relentless in our prayers. When you want something, when you need something, or you desire something, talk to Hashem. Hashem hears our prayers and Hashem answers our prayers. And sometimes the answer is no. We see this clearly from Moshe, where the Jewish people are going about to go into the land of Israel. 
And Moshe is there as the leader, and he's like, I also want to go into the land of Israel. Shem says, sorry, you can't go into the land of Israel. You could have glorified my name by talking to the rock. Instead, you hit the rock, and you're not going into the land of Israel. Moshe begs and begs and begs 515 times until finally Hashem says, that's it. Stop. Just stop. You're not going in. Sages tell us that there are 10 different types of prayers. You see, prayer to us many times seems like I just open up a prayer book or I can say words from my heart, but there are many different ways we can pray. We see that Hannah, Hannah, when she wanted a child, she came with a very, very tough prayer to the Almighty. She said, you know, God, and think about the almost the chutzpah of how she asked this question. She wanted a child. She wanted a child. She went to Ailey the Kohen, and Ailey laughed at her. He says, you're like a drunken. And she was in the middle of prayer. He saw her praying, and she was so fervent in her prayer, so emotionally connected. He thought she was drunk. She goes to the Almighty, and she says to the Almighty, she says, look, you didn't create anything extra in this world. There's nothing that you created that's extra in this world. But you gave me breasts. What are breasts for? They're to feed a child. But you never gave me a child. Was that? Does that mean, perhaps, that you gave me something that is extra? Something that isn't necessary was created by the Almighty? How can that be? Shem says, you know what, you're right. I'll give you a child. That's a very, that's a very tough prayer there. But guess what? It worked. And what we need to learn from this, from Moshe, from Hannah, from all of our greats, is that prayer means talk to Hashem and never stop talking. You want something. You want to attain a certain level of spirituality. You want to attain a certain level of materialism. You want to attain a certain success in your job, in your career, in your family, with your children. Talk to Hashem. There's no limit in what we can attain when we talk to Hashem. Just open up a dialogue. You know, my grandfather, we pray three prayers every day, morning, afternoon, and evening. My grandfather never liked to do the combined prayers. I'll, I'll tell you what that means. It's like a BOGO. You know, buy one, get one free. So you have the, the morning prayer needs to be prayed within the first four hours of the day. So we put on our tefillin and the morning prayers and we pray Shacharis prayer. Then we have the mincha, which is the afternoon prayer, from midday till sunset. And then from sunset on, we pray the evening prayer, Marif. So what people do to avoid, not to avoid, but to make it more, I guess, uh, convenient and economical, what they do is they go to synagogue like 15 minutes before sunset. They pray the mincha prayer. And then right after sunset, they pray the Marif prayer. And that way they, they go to synagogue one time for both prayers. My grandfather never liked to do that. And the reason he didn't like to do that is because he says, I, I can't wait till the end of the day to talk to continue talking to God. I can't. I can't wait till the end of the day to continue talking to God. He needed the earliest possible time that he could, the earliest mincha, which was at midday, he would run to shul and he would want to continue talking to Hashem because he felt that every prayer was a continuation from one another. It's not just, oh, today I'm going to be thinking about this and this is what I'm going to be talking about. And by the way, it's important. If you can, I do this and I know many other people who do this as well. Have a sheet of paper 
It's not only praying for someone's good health. It's not only praying, you know someone who needs a job, you know someone who's trying to find a soulmate, you know someone who's struggling spiritually, you know someone who's struggling physically, emotionally, whatever it is. You have the opportunity to pray, to talk to Hashem. And Hashem loves our prayer. He loves our communication with Him. And we see this from Moshe, that even though he was relentless in his prayer, Hashem listened and listened and listened. His answer happened to have been no. But usually when we ask for something, we usually get it. So it's important for us to know about prayer. The next part of something very, very important for us to point out here is that there is no changing the Torah, adding or subtracting. That's in chapter 4, verse 2. The Torah tells us we're not all permitted to add or subtract to the Torah. Then later it says, do not stray left or right from the Torah. Meaning, you have to understand this. You know, there's a misconception that Jews have about Judaism. A very strong misconception. A very bad one. And that is many people think that Jews have, we have a bunch of rabbis and they're sitting around in a smoke-filled room and they're deciding of all the ways that they're going to mess up the lives of Jews by making more rules and making more laws and making more commandments. Okay, so first is there's no smoke-filled rooms and there's no rabbis scheming of how to get the Jews with more laws, okay? We are not allowed to add or subtract from the Torah's laws. We are not allowed to add and subtract from the Torah's laws. There's no laws made up by the rabbis. There are seven laws in all of Judaism, seven laws that were instituted by the rabbis. And those are all laws that are taught from the Torah. For example, we gave this example recently. Washing our hands. Washing our hands before we eat. Washing our hands before we pray. These are all things that are taught to us in the Torah by, for example, the service in the temple. Before the Kohen went to do the service in the temple, the high priest, he would have to wash his hands. So our say to say, if the Kohen needed to wash his hands before going to service, we need to do the same. But it's not because the rabbis just made up a rule. It's all rules that are founded already in the Torah. So we need to understand this. The rabbis don't make up rules. We have many classes at Torch dedicated to talking about this one idea. We learn in Talmud. We see the history of everything that we are familiar with. We're familiar with certain laws of prayer and certain laws of whatever it may be that we, that we learn in very interesting classes. We learn through the Talmud how everything is sourced in a verse on the Torah. The rabbis don't have the authority to make up rules. It's important for us to remember this. The rabbis don't have permission to make up rules. Okay? So, now, does that mean that there are... Uh, how can you say that, Rabbi? There are different customs. Right? You talk about Hasidic dynasties. You have hundreds and hundreds of Hasidic dynasties alive today that came from every different corner in Europe and Russia and they all have various different customs. So I'll give you an example. You have different types of payas. You have those who have curly payas in front. You have curly payas who go behind the ear. You have curly payas who curl them up and put them on top of the ear. You have curly payas who wind them around the ear like this. You have curly payas who wind them around the ear like that. You have curly payas who put them under their, under their yarmulke. You have others who just 
don't have extra pace, but have regular, you know, it's like you wonder, like, they all have different customs. But one thing you have to remember, they all have pace because the Torah commands us to have, to keep our side locks. I have pace, as you can see here in my in my video, I have pace here that go behind my ear. It's not always noticeable, but I have them from childhood. This is the way I grew up. We have pace because the Torah teaches us not to cut the corners of our heads. How you have it and how you observe it, make your own custom out of it. That's fine. Make your own custom. As long as you're fulfilling the commandment of the Torah, no one is going to tell you you have to do it like this or like that. Follow your own custom. If in your community that's the way they they wear their payas, they have it like this or they have it like that or however they have it, they have however they have it curled, that's fine. That's perfect. Whatever is right for you, that's perfect. But don't change the rules of the Torah. I'll give you another example. You have many people who wear different types of garments. You know, on Shabbos, for example, you know, you have some who wear the, like the yellowish, goldish long coats. Some have the shiny long coats. Some have shorter coats. Some have a regular, uh, you know, dress jackets or sport coats that they wear. The halacha says that one should wear a beged elyon, a cover, a jacket when they pray. It's a special thing to do that for Shabbos. Doesn't make a difference what color. You can wear gray, you can wear blue, you can wear white, you can wear yellow, you can wear whatever your favorite color is. As long as you follow that, that instruction of the halacha. We don't get into the micro details of your fashion choices and style. To wear a hat like this or to wear a hat like that or to not wear a hat or what type of yarmulke, that's all irrelevant. We're supposed to have a head covering. So, you know, some people want to wear a hat when they pray. The halacha says you should wear two coverings on your head. If you notice on a yarmulke, very interesting, that the yarmulke has two two pieces of garment in the yarmulke for that specific reason. Because the halacha says that when one prays, they should have two coverings over their head. Okay, so there you go. You're ready to fulfill that without wearing a hat. But every some people want to have a hat like this. Some people want to have a hat like that. That's fine, as long as you have the head covering. So what we're trying, what I'm trying to express here is that there's a very stark difference between changing the style of how you observe the Torah than changing the actual rules of the Torah. And that's a very huge mistake, a fatal error that was made 50, 60 years ago when one of the movements decided to permit, for example, driving to Shul and Chavez. I don't know what the motivation is, but I can only imagine. They're losing membership. People are moving to suburban areas, and now we're losing our membership. How are we going to keep them involved in our synagogues? How are we going to keep our membership going? That could be, that's a little bit more of a cynical perspective. It could be that they really sincerely, genuinely cared that people are moving away and they're not going to have a shul to daven in. They said, okay, if it's only to go to shul, you can drive. But that was a fatal error, a fatal mistake. Because what that did was, is that broke the fabric of the Jewish community. And by the way, if you look in that movement's responsa, five years later, they retracted that whole ruling. And they said, it's wrong and you should not drive under any circumstances. But it was too late. You let the cat out of that bag and it's, 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 it's irreparable. But this is tragic because now you have the fabric of the Jewish community was always that people had to live in a, 
area next to a synagogue because we can't, we have no other way of commuting from place to place. So the only way to get to synagogue on Shabbos was to walk to synagogue. So that necessitated a Jewish community around, built around a synagogue. The minute you allow the driving, people can live here in Houston, right? People can live out in Katy and people can live in Memorial and people can live in Sugarland and people can live in Rosenberg and Pierland and there's no more community. Yeah, every once in a while they'll show up to synagogue. But the truth is, is that the, with the fabric that keeps, it's like a Hana'am said, he says, more than the Jews keep the Shabbos, the Shabbos keeps the Jews. It's what keeps us together as a community. So that's an example of how making a change was a devastating, terrible change, aside from the fact that it's forbidden by the Torah because igniting the flame, igniting a flame is prohibited by the Torah. Torah clearly, explicitly says, do not light up, do not ignite a fire. And by igniting an engine, we're igniting a fire. So it's aside for the, aside for the fact. But this is something we need to be very, very careful about. Okay. The next thing we need to realize is that Hashem always wants us close to Him. Hashem put us in this world on a mission. Each and every one of us here, those of you watching, those of you listening on a podcast, those of you live here, uh, on Zoom, Hashem put each and every one of us here on this earth on a mission. That mission is to connect to Hashem through every interaction that we have, through every circumstance that comes our way. We all have many different things that come up in our lives. We have this challenge and that challenge, and in all of them, Hashem wants us to remain committed and dedicated in our relationship to him. It's like, imagine what parent doesn't want their child to be close to them? What child doesn't want to have that their child call them and wish them uh, how, you know, a, a, a good night and a good Shabbos and how is your week and how is your month and wish them a Shana Tova? Not only Thanksgiving, every single day. This is what we all want. We all want the relationship with our children. Hashem is no different. It's even greater the desire that Hashem has for a relationship with us. Let's not deprive Hashem of that relationship. Hashem wants that closeness. The problem is is that idolatry gets in the way. Idolatry? How does idolatry get into this conversation? Well, very simple. Idolatry is anything that detracts from our relationship with Hashem. So, while we're not serving idols and bowing down to little, you know, little things that are made out of stone and we're not bowing down to the sun and the moon, which again in this week's partial we're warned about, we're not bowing down to the ocean and to the sea creatures. We're not doing that. But perhaps are we idolizing movie stars? Are we idolizing fashion? Are we idolizing something else other than God? Our materialism, our money? Is that perhaps what we're idolizing? That be- creates a barrier between us and the Almighty. And that Hashem doesn't like. So we have to realize that we have to make a conscious decision to not allow physical, materialistic things get in our way and become idolatry between us and Hashem. Another thing is that, we mentioned this earlier, 
that there is no such thing as a leap of faith in Judaism. You see, in every other religion, you need to just take the plunge. You need to take the leap of faith because if you don't, you'll have eternal damnation. You'll have purgatory. You will have, you'll be called an infidel and will wage a jihad against you. That's the way they operate. That's not the way we operate. You've never, ever, ever seen someone. You've never even heard or read a book about this. Even a novel where a Jewish person said, convert to Judaism or I'll kill you. Never. Never happened. But you have that with every other religion where Jews were maimed, where Jews were murdered. Millions of Jews were murdered for not willing to convert to Christianity. You see, our faith in Hashem is not based on a leap of faith. You know, I once sat with a priest. We were co- uh, co-officiating an event uh, for uh, the Houston Holocaust Museum many years ago. And they asked for a rabbi and a, and a priest to, uh, to do this invocation. Okay. So I met with this individual, very nice person, and we got together at Starbucks to just to, to share what we're going to talk about, and you know that we don't have any any overlap, and that everything is uh, you know pre-planned. So I we got into a nice casual conversation. He said to me, "So what congregation are you a rabbi at?" I said, oh, "I'm not a rabbi of a congregation. I'm a rabbi at Torch, and we're an educational resource for the community." So that people don't have to feel like membership is a barrier to learning about Judaism. That people don't have to feel like they have to be uh, pay membership dues. Anybody who wants to come learn, you're welcome to come learn. She says, okay, so what are you teaching now? So I said, actually, interestingly, right now we're doing a question and answer series in multiple synagogues. And people can ask any question they want. And not realizing who I was speaking to, I said to the priest, I said, do you ever do a question and answer series in your church? And he stops, he pauses, and he says, you forget who you're talking to. I said, what? He says, there are no questions in our religion. I said, wow. There are no no questions? He says, yeah, if you start asking questions, it all falls apart. Wow. A moment of honesty. It all falls apart. I said, I, I to me, it's just like, I can't understand that because every single page of Talmud is questions and questions and questions. One second, how can you say this? It's a contradiction to what we said there. And how can you say that? It's a, it, it, it contradicts what it says over there. And what's your proof? And bring it back up. And this, everything has to be sourced in the Torah. In the Talmud, we're constantly pushing, pushing and pushing. We want to know the truth. Give us the truth. It has to be sourced. And everything is sourced in the Torah. We have to understand that when we talk about Judaism, we talk about the Torah, it's not just some rabbis who got together and said, here, let's put together a scheme and figure out a way to make life miserable for the Jews. Okay? It's like we mentioned previously. There's no leap of faith in Judaism. There's knowledge of Hashem. Someone just asked me this weekend, I was in upstate New York, and someone said, you know, I wish I was able to like know 100% that there's a God. And I stopped, I'm like, you don't know that there is a God. God is literally everywhere. Look around. Open your heart. Open your mind. And you will see God everywhere. The problem is, is that we like to pick up a phone and call our friend. 
hey, Peter, how are you? It's great. And I know I'm talking to him because I hear his voice and I know that it's him. With Hashem, the problem is, is that we think that when we talk to Hashem and we ask Hashem for something and we get it, we say, oh, it just happened to be. You know, there's the joke they say, this guy was going around New York City trying to find a parking spot and he's got to close this deal. He's got to be at his meeting 10 o'clock and it's like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to be late for my meeting. I can't be late for this meeting. He's like, God, please, if you get me a parking spot, I will give 10% of this deal to charity. Please, God, give me this. Give, give me a parking spot. He's circling around. He says, God, you know what? 20%, 20%. I'm going to give 20% to charity. Just get me a parking spot so I can close this deal and be there on time. Suddenly, right in front of him, a car pulls out. He says, God, never mind. I got it myself. You see, we, we, we put things, it's, it's a, it's a joke, right? But it's not a joke because that's the way many times people are praying for a miracle when it comes to medicine. And they're praying and they're praying and they're praying. And God sends them the miracle. And they're like, no, we have, we had a good doctor. As soon as the, the miracle happens, Hashem talks to us. Hashem talks to us. But we're not willing to hear him. We prefer having things, oh, it's just, you know, we had a miracle with our son. Our baby was a preemie. He was born at, 20, at, at 33 weeks. My wife was hospitalized already in the 29th week. And he was this big when he was born. He weighed three pounds. It was it was it was a miracle. We they told us the baby was going to have a very severe condition, and we shook the heavens and we had people going to the Western Wall every single day and praying and reciting the entire Psalms. With a minion, it was it was we had we shook up the heavens. Baby was born and baby's perfectly healthy. There's no condition. They didn't know what the baby was small. It was baby was a preemie, but. That baby is soon going to be bar mitzvah. But the condition that they said that the baby was going to have wasn't there. So all the doctors like, oh, you know, sometimes we make mistakes. And, and it's funny. We had a doctor who said, look, look at the image. Look what the image shows. The image shows that this is there. It's 100%. How is it possible? There's something called God. And that God has the power that can heal, that can repair, that can change the nature of the world. And there are many people who said, well, doctors do make mistakes. No, doctors didn't make mistakes. It's there. It's in that image. Doctors didn't make mistakes. Not in that case. The doctors were 100% accurate. But Hashem made a miracle. We have to recognize it as such. Hashem makes miracles. All we need to do is build that relationship with Hashem. Talk to Hashem. And then we have in this week's parsha the Shema, the Credo, the mission statement of the Jewish people. Love Hashem with everything you have. Love Hashem with all of your resources, with all of your soul, with all of your hearts. Sages say, what is your soul? Your hearts. Your soul, I know. We should dedicate our, our, our lives to Hashem. That means if someone comes to us with a gun to our head, says, convert to Christianity or I kill you, we have to be willing to give up our lives. That's to give up your soul for Hashem. It says Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, when they were combing his body with steel combs and, and killing him, murdering him, he was smiling. His children, his students were standing there like, Rebbe, what are you smiling? 
He says, my entire life I've been reciting in the Shema that I should love Hashem with my entire soul. I finally have the opportunity to, to fulfill this mitzvah. So that's with our soul. What's with our hearts? Our sages tell us we have two hearts. We have the Yetzer Tov, our good inclination, and our negative inclination. Our positive and our negative inclination. And to subordinate both of them to the service of Hashem. That's why it says the hearts. And then with all your resources. Every resource you have, commit to Hashem. How, how do I commit my car to, my car is a great resource. How do I commit that? Do that for the service of Hashem. Volunteer to donate, to, to donate your time to delivering packages, whether it be, uh, meals on wheels or some other, uh, you know, volunteership that you can do. Go place to place. You can allow people to borrow your car, give people a ride. There's ways that we can commit our possessions to the service of Hashem. But this all comes after we understand Shema Yisrael. Listen, listen. we got to hear this every single day. Hashem Elokeinu. Hashem is our God. He's our God. Hashem Echad. And He's only one. There's no other gods. Money should not be our God. We shouldn't have anything else as our, oh, I can't. I, you know, the things that we, that we idolize or things that we crave for. We shouldn't have anything other than Hashem. It's important for us to, when we read the Shema, our sages tell us that there is the Ten Commandments built into the Shema. And if you'd like, and on another time, we can, uh, we can look into that. Next is the, we have, to those of you on podcast, you'll have the link in the description, uh, in the notes, so you can follow along. But if you look on these, the, we have this page number two, has the two times the Ten Commandments are mentioned in the Torah. First time we know was at Mount Sinai in Exodus, chronologically, Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 through verse 14, and we have the Ten Commandments listed. And then again, in this week's parasha, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6 through 18, Moshe again repeats the Ten Commandments, but repeats it with three differences. Three differences. And if you look, if you look on these sheets, that I, on the sheet that I prepared, you'll see the differences uh, are underlined. So in commandment number one, two, three, four, which is the commandment to keep the Shabbos, in Exodus it says, remember the Shabbos day and keep it holy. And in Deuteronomy here in this week's Parsha, it says, observe the Shabbos and keep it holy. There's a difference between remember and observe, which is why, by the way, our sages tell us that we have two challahs on Friday night. Number one is because we have the mitzvah of uh, to, to remember the manna. The manna that the Jewish people received on Friday was a double portion. They had two loaves of manna that they received on Friday. One was for Friday and one was for Shabbos. So too, we commemorate that receiving of the manna and the miracle that we receive every single day living our lives that Hashem gives us manna not in the form of mana like that, but in a different form of mana. To remember that we have the shamar and we have the zachar. The observe and the remember is also these two phrases, these two terminologies that are used differently in Exodus. And in Deuteronomy is to teach us these, the, the, uh, this as well. But there is a, a, an observance of the Shabbos, which were commanded outright, 
But then there's the remembrance of the Shabbos, and that is that every day of the week, we remember, for example, today in synagogue, what did we say? Today's the, today's Tuesday, the third day of the week. We say, Hayom Yom Shlishi, the Shabbos. Today's the third day to Shabbos. Our days don't have names in Hebrew. We don't have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday in Hebrew. You have day one, day two, day three, day four. That's the way the days of the week are counted in Hebrew, in the language of the Torah. Why? Because we count towards Shabbos. Our entire existence is built around Shabbos. And that's what this commandment teaches us. And then we have a a little bit of a change to how the commandment of honoring our father and mother is different in Deuteronomy than it is in Exodus. And then the last commandment of the Ten Commandments, Lo Sachmod, thou shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's slave, their animals, that is also different uh, in Deuteronomy than it is in Exodus. You have it. Uh, I would love to hear your reasons for why uh, the commentaries talk about this in great, great, great length. Uh, why there are these, not discrepancies, but differences. They're there. And this is one of the things we said at the beginning of today's Torah portion, the, our Parsha review. And that is there's not an extra letter, there's not an extra word, there's not an extra verse in the Torah. If the Torah includes it, if the Torah writes it, it's a perfect document. It's there for a reason. Let's figure out why. Then we have that the performance of a mitzvah, we need to remember this, that we're going to have, we have 199 commandments in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Devarim, of which over 100 of them are repeated from what was mentioned earlier in the Torah. So we need to understand what is a performative mitzvah. A mitzvah, for example, putting on tefillin, putting on a mezuzah on our door, like is mentioned in this week's parsha. When we don tefillin, what we're doing is we're bringing ourselves closer to the Almighty. When we light Shabbos candles, when we perform the mitzvah, the performative mitzvah, for example, for a woman going to the mikvah, this is bringing you closer to the Almighty. But we know that we have 248 positive performative commandments and we have 365 negative or prohibitions. Sages teach us that the performative mitzvahs bring us closer to Hashem. The prohibitions protect us from distancing us from Hashem. So when it says do not eat food that's not kosher, what that is teaching us is that when you do eat that, you're going to be distancing yourself from the Almighty. And that's why we have positive commandments, performative commandments, and we have prohibitions, commandments that tell us things that we shouldn't do, because by doing so, we will be distancing ourselves from the Almighty. And that's what the total of the 365, the 248 combined is the 613 commandments that we have in our Torah. So Hashem should protect us all. Hashem should protect us, number one, that we should be guided in the right path and we should always feel the closeness with Hashem. But also we shouldn't get carried away by the success that the Almighty sends our way, whether it be financial success, whether it be with our, with our family, with our, with our lifestyle, whatever it is that Hashem gives us, to never use it to go astray and to go away from Hashem, but rather to connect more to Hashem, to commit more to Hashem. That's number one. And then, additionally, Hashem should always protect us and our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. You know, we have a special prayer that we recite every single morning. 
says, Make the Torah that we are learning, make it sweet before you. Make it sweet. Why sweet? For who? For what? Number one, for us, that we should enjoy it and feel the pleasure because sometimes learning Torah is not that easy. It's not that exciting. Even then, we ask Hashem, make it sweet for us. But then the, the verse continues. And it's, it should be sweet in our mouth. And in the mouths of all the Jewish people. And that make us and our children and our all of our descendants. They should all be studying Torah. They should all merit to study Torah. They should learn Torah. And this is the prayer that all mothers throughout our history, when they light their Shabbos candles, this is the prayer that they're praying that their children follow the paths of the Torah. And here we are implored by Moshe, follow the Torah, follow the Torah. You're promised unbelievable goodness when you follow the Torah. Hashem should guide us. Hashem should give us the sweetness in it. And we should all merit to succeed in our connection with Hashem every single day. Amen. And of course, have a great Shabbos.